Hello, waffle lovers, and welcome to another episode of Whatever Flips Your Waffle here on 365sportscast.com. I'm your host, Mark Domeyer, coming to you as always from the bunker deep in the heart of southern Minnesota. We are on a baseball kick this week, having some fun, wrapping up some local baseball action around the Richland, Heartland, Ellendale, Geneva area. We're going to talk about some larger scale state baseball action. And of course, the Twins are on the docket this week as well. I'm glad you've decided to tune in and listen to these discussions about Minnesota sports. Welcome to those of you who tune in each and every week. And welcome also to those of you checking things out for the first time. I hope you'll continue to join us each and every week. Sit back, relax, and prepare yourself for another helping of waffles, syrup optional. After this brief commercial break, I'll be back with my interview for the week. This week, we have our first interview returning to us, Matt Johnson of Twins Almanac. We're going to talk about town ball in the state of Minnesota. Stick around. Brian Wayne and Wayne Farms are sponsoring the program again this week. I'd like to thank them, thank all of our farmers, everybody involved in agriculture. This week we want to put a spotlight on our hog farmers. I love bacon, I love ham, I'm sure a lot of you do as well, and a lot of hard work and effort put in to those who are raising the pigs and everything else and, and uh, you know, putting that good meat on our tables that so many of us enjoy no matter what time of year we're in. I saw some of our local hog farmers at some ball tournaments this past weekend. It's always good to stop and visit and uh, talk about the future of agriculture in the area. So thank you to our hog farmers. Thank you to Brian Wayne and Wayne Farms. Returning to Whatever Flips Your Waffle this week on 365sportscast.com, Matt Johnson. Matt was my first ever interview on our first show way back in January. Uh, he's got a couple big Twitter accounts, at Twins Almanac and at Major Minnesota. Uh, last time around we talked about um, baseball cards and stuff, and we got some other things to talk about. Matt, welcome back to the program. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, good times. You know, it's... It's funny because um, I've had people comment on different shows and stuff, and I've just this past weekend, um, I was tournament director for a big baseball tournament, and I had one of the coaches talking to him, and he said, hey, you know that guy you interviewed a while back who, with all the baseball cards? He said, my goodness. He goes, I started following him on Twitter, and holy cow, that's some good stuff. So at least you got one new follower out of <laughs> appearing on here the previous time. Outstanding. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's kind of fun to run into people and they they bring up those kind of things. So um, social media in general is kind of cool. Like you, you bump into people that you uh, you know that you're you're online friends with. Yeah. Um, like last night we played in Chaska, and I think one of the cooler accounts out there is Town Ball Tuesdays, and uh, Rhino from Town Ball Tuesdays is on that Chaska team, so it's kind of kind of cool to bump into people that you know from the internet. Yeah, it's it's a whole different world. And, and I'm older than you are, you know, growing up, like I didn't even really know the guys on the other teams we played very well. You didn't interact because you didn't, that was long distance and it cost money to call people <laughs> that lived outside your town, but it's a very different world today. Um, we are going to talk, we're going to talk some town ball today. And I hearken back um, 2020, kind of when the pandemic hit and people had a lot of time to sit and watch things. Um, Fox Sports North at the time, now Bally Sports North, had a big documentary on town ball. And I don't know if you watched that at all, but I found it fascinating to watch all this insight into what town ball, amateur ball, is here in Minnesota. Yeah, I did watch that. It was incredibly cool. It got pretty dusty in my living room. <laughs> watching some of those games. <laughs> like, 
like I know like a phrase that came up last time how can you not be romantic about baseball and it just applies so often and you want, when you watch something like that it's like how can you not get it right. and it's something like I wanted to watch I wanted to like make everyone in my life watch that just so they kind of like got it you know, what, like even like my in-laws yep. up in Washington yep. they're like what the heck are you doing with your life and I'm like well <laughs> just sit down for like eight hours and watch this whole documentary yeah yeah <laughs> It and and that romanticism that you mentioned, um, I, that's what I always I was thinking. Any time that I bring somebody on the show here and we're talking baseball, uh, I kind of ask that of different people. What is it about baseball? And and nobody ever can really put their finger on it. Romanticism is as good a term as any. Uh, but yeah, you know, yeah. If you if you sit back and think objectively about the game of baseball, it doesn't make a lot of sense. It's like, okay, well, why I'm into this. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like tennis or golf or something would probably be a better use of time. Right, but easier easier to explain to someone. But yeah, baseball just sinks its hooks in people. Yeah, yeah. And I wouldn't want to live without it. Like, no, no. Like, why? What would be the point? Yeah. You know, like you know, if someone was like, "Hey, here's this great job in like I don't know New York or something," I'd be like, "Yeah, but they don't have town ball there." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and so you, you talk about that now. A lot of people would argue, and I'm sure you're one of them, that Minnesota Town Ball is the best in the nation. I mean, is there anybody that compares? I well, so I personally wouldn't be an authority on this, but through Twins Almanac, you know, I've talked to a, a fair number of kind of national sports people. I think it was Jim Cable specifically was talking about this one time, but I've heard it from a few people who you know would be qualified to speak on the national baseball scene. And they'll say it, but there's nothing like this anyplace else in the country. And you got to imagine like major metropolitan areas. I'm sure Los Angeles has a great amateur baseball scene. But as far as like this network of teams across the majority of the state, I mean, there are kind of like some dead zones in Minnesota, but like on a statewide level, people, I mean, you know, I've heard it from multiple people who would know what they're talking about. There's nothing else like this in the United States, and yeah. it's not even particularly close. Yeah. It's, it's crazy what we have here. But even though what we have here is unrivaled anywhere in, in this great nation, there's still, I feel like, a lot of people who just aren't really that aware of it. Or, or every year there's, like, potential players who are like, hey, how do I, like, like it's, it's still kind of mysterious if you're not on the inside. Yeah. So we could probably do a better job of, you know, promoting it and, and you know, like in now then this year, I play on the now the town ball team. We always end up having a few players every year who've been out of ball for a few years and just kind of are just kind of discovering this option. Yeah, right. Yeah. But no, like legitimately, like you, you talk to national people, town ball that we have in Minnesota. There's nothing else like it in the country. Other big cities have great amateur baseball scenes, but on a statewide level, nothing compares. Yeah. Right. Well, and I think when you talk about coming back to it, you know, I graduated from college. I came to New Richland, um, got my teaching job, and I, it, it never dawned on me to think about this. And I grew up in New Ulm, and I grew up outside of New Ulm, and there's, there's town ball there, certainly, um, and out in wonderful Essex, Minnesota. But it never dawned on me that I could resume my baseball journey until I, I started here, and then I played one season of, of town ball with, at the time, it was the New Richland Black Sox. And um, we, we weren't very good. But we had a good time, and we had a lot of fun. Um, and they, they evolved into the New Richland Reds, which have since folded. And now I start to hear rumblings of, hey, how could we get some people back involved and, and start this again? Because, it, it, like you say, it sinks your hooks into you, and you kind of want to keep playing. 
Yeah. Um, and so, like, the other thing that people need to realize is every amateur baseball team, particularly town ball, I guess I don't know how, like, other leagues operate, but, you know, when we say town ball, there's kind of, like, the most of the teams across the state are under the umbrella of the Minnesota Baseball Association. Yep. As you get closer into the cities, there's there's the Federal League, which I also play in, and Tick Maple and all this stuff. But every amateur baseball team is kind of a small miracle. Like, like what it takes to keep one of these teams going. You, know, <laughs> you, you, need, you need a manager who's probably a little nuts to, yeah. that wants to like, really be more or less dedicated. I mean, it's crazy what it takes to keep these teams going. And there are hundreds of them across the state. Yeah. So there's all these people with a screw. Yeah, I see. You're saying we have a hundred, hundreds of crazy people here in the state. <laughs> yeah, I know it's it's really really cool, and you know, and once again, how can you not be romantic about baseball? Yeah, like the people who are keeping this stuff going is just it's incredible. Because like as you mentioned, you know, teams do fold. You know, there's a lot of like Elk River here where I where I live. I live just up the road in Zerman, so. Um, they can, they cannot keep a team going. Right. Meanwhile, in like little Malden, where I where I play, you know, we're we're terrible. We don't win games, <laughs> but but the team still takes the field, you know, a couple yeah. times a week. And yeah. not every town can say that. Right. And you have you know the costs are part of it too. And and as I worked with this baseball tournament this weekend, and we talked about funding youth baseball. But you know, a, a amateur team, town team, that costs money for baseballs, for umpires, for equipment. You know, there's, there, you know, the striping the field. There's all kinds of things involved, and I, people don't always recognize just how expensive a game baseball can be. Yeah, yeah. So umpiring is a pretty, a pretty good summer job. It, yeah. if you can get it. <laughs> it <laughs> but yeah, it takes a lot of money. It's so it, like every team operates a little differently, and I don't know if people necessarily understand that the teams are pretty, you know, kind of like their their own entities. They're pretty autonomous. Every everybody has to kind of figure out how to make things work for themselves. Um, but yeah, like community support is big. Um, a lot of teams do end up renting fields, um, but you know, some teams, you know, the way they operate in their community are a little differently, are a little different. Um, yeah, there's just so many pieces that you have to make happen, and money is big. Yeah, I mean, it, it is expensive. Like it's not like you don't just show up and like, you know, here's a field. And, you know, people have to be people have to maintain fields. So yes. depending where you're playing, like maybe you're you know, maybe the city is maintaining the field, well, that costs money. You know, people, that's someone's job. Right, right. Or if, or if the city is not maintaining it, then that's a lot of a lot of work for the team. And when you get young guys who come in, um, who, who maybe are coming straight out of high school haven't or haven't really, like, participated, you know, <laughs> you might need to kind of, like, introduce them to the concept of, like, okay, no, this is our field that we're responsible for taking care of. There's no, like, custodian who comes out here. Right. And takes care of everything. Yeah. So. Well, and I, I'm a firm believer you should teach young people how to take care of a ball. Like the game is done, let's mm-hmm. let's at least rake up around, you know, fix the mound yep. up, fix around home plate, the bases. If not, do a full drag, and, and because mm-hmm. it is, it falls into disrepair so quickly. Um, you know, the cost. I was I was up in Owatonna sometimes this summer, um, uh, helping do a little color commentary on their live stream for the Owatonna Aces, their amateur team up there, and, and talking to their general manager. And he talked about the cost, and they, you know, charge admission, and they do a 50-50 raffle. But he's paying 150 bucks for an umpire because that's what it takes to get an umpire. So yeah, supply and demand. Yeah, and you think, and I looked around the stands, and I started doing math in my head on the people in the stands um, paid for the umpire, and that was about it. You know, that's how many people were maybe at the game, and and uh, so yeah. they have the other costs. 
and not all and not all town ball parks and communities are kind of set up to have much of an audience. Right. And we play up in Hankley. They do a great job of, you know, it's a cool ballpark. They put on a really great show, and they get people from the community come out. Now then, where we are, like, a we're not good, but the ballpark's just kind of like, you know, it's not really it's not really a setup. It's not it's not an appeal to for spectators. Yep. You know, so it kind of varies. Um, that way, as far as and so up in Hinkley, they do that fifty-fifty. But like, you know, a lot of a lot of town ball, at least in my area, it's not really a big spectator draw. Yeah. So it really varies from from community to community and from park to park. Yeah. Well, and I, I just I live in an area where there's you know again it's the kind of the ebb and the flow and and uh, one of the Otana games I got to watch uh, they played Wasika and I don't know if you know of the great Tink Larson from Wasika, Minnesota. Um, Familiar, not okay. personally. Yeah, uh, one of the great all-time high school coaches, and he is—he's still managing and and playing. I watched eighty-year-old oh, Tink really? Larson step onto the mound and throw an inning, and I thought, really, like like a legitimate inning, huh? Yep. Well, I mean, two thirds, and then the ten-run rule went into effect. But yeah, uh, okay, but it wasn't—it wasn't like okay, that's pretty yeah. cool. Wow. And, and, but that's you know you talk about being a little crazy. I, I I can't imagine being eighty years old and stepping on the mound and throwing the ball across the plate. But uh, that's that that love, that passion for baseball that some people have. That he's going to. Did he throw? He threw strikes. He threw strikes. They hit him. I but wonder if he's in. A, I wonder if he's in a thirty-mile radius of now. Then I, <laughs> I don't think Wasika uh, fits in. No, I guess but, not, uh, man. It would be so cool just to have someone who can come out there and not walk. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, a few great stories like that of guys who just played, you know, just kept it going, like into. You know, into the later years, uh, Pete Bright is a name that really stands out. Um, you know, just pitched. I think he pitched into his seventies. But there's just so many great stories in town ball. And, and the um, I've never personally been there, but in St. Cloud, there's uh, the Minnesota Amateur Baseball Hall of Fame, and they have a pretty cool website. So you can go through and browse members and get little bits of bios. But um, you know, there's so many people out there trying to kind of keep these stories in circulation. And um, you know, Tink Larson, as I said, like I. I don't know a lot about him. Um, not someone I've met, but it's just a name. Like you say that name, and you're just like, "Yep, yep that's a name I know that's floating yes. around out there." Yeah. Now it's just a matter of like, you know, kind of making the stories a little more well known and maybe a little more accessible. Um, but like I said, the Minnesota Amateur Baseball Hall of Fame does a does a pretty good job as far as like, you know, if there's a name that you're curious about, you can go to their website and, and at least get a little bio and right. Yeah. There's a few cool books out there. There's a, a town ball book um, by Armin Peterson and Tom Tomachuk, I think. Yeah, I think I um, got that one, yep. Yeah, but it's kind of like period specific. You know, it doesn't, you know, cover like the whole the whole history of Minnesota amateur baseball. But occasionally like a like a name will you know, someone will throw a name out there and be like, oh, that's kinda sounds familiar, so I'll go to the I'll go to the index in the back of the book and then go find the go find the golden nugget that I'm looking yep, for. Right, right. Baseball's so like great in that it really lends itself to just little bits of trivia, little nuggets, you know, mm-hmm. like, like, uh, like you don't have to know someone's like whole story. You can just say, Hey, that one time in, yeah. you know, 1979 <laughs> when so-and-so, you know, went five for five with a, you know, it's just stuff like that. It's just so cool. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, we're here. Moments. Yeah. We're here with Matt Johnson, um, returning to the show this week. Uh, he hosts, at Twins Almanac on on Twitter, good good um, good information there. I mean, baseball history, and we're kind of talking town ball today. Uh, talk a little bit about your journey in town ball. Like, 
you're younger than I am, but you've been playing for for some time here. And you know what brought you into that that realm? Um, yeah, so I'm 38. I you know played high, played baseball in high school. Didn't play in college. Went out for the college team at Gustavus. You know, I was around the team, but I wound up walking away when my my arm was just sore all the time. And yeah. Um, but I was actually talking about this last night in, in the parking lot in Chaska because we're serious about about the uh, the parking lot social time after yeah. games. Um, and, and we kind of touched on this just earlier in this conversation. The people aren't always totally aware of like what's out there as far as amateur baseball options. So I came back to Gustavus my sophomore year, and um, you know coaches were like, "Hey, cool. So where'd you play this summer?" Like, what do you mean? Like, I'm too old for Legion. Like, like I just had no concept of yep. it. like. Turns out, you know, there was like a town ball team, and now then I don't, I don't know. But I, had, I think I was aware that there was a team, but I had zero idea like how to get involved with that. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that's on me. Um, but anyway, so then I moved to Seattle for ten, about ten years. So I'm out there. There's not really, you know, we talked, we also touched on earlier that the Minnesota town ball scene is unlike anything else in the country. Right. And I can tell you from living out there, like there's a little bit of amateur baseball, like right in the Seattle metropolitan area. But once you get out of Seattle, there's nothing. So there's no like Wasika team, you know, yeah, stuff like yeah, that. Right. And what they and what they do have there in the city is, you know, it's kind of more akin to like like a softball league, and that it's not, you know, it's not like each town or community kind of has a team. It's just that there's you know kind of a league that's centrally organized. And so I did one year of that after I've been out there, you know, nine years. So pretty minimal. Moved back to Minnesota about six years ago, and but even when I moved back. I had become, you know, through social media, I'd become aware, like, I'd kind of gotten a sense of how big town ball was. But even when I came back, it was a little difficult to figure out, like, okay, where exactly are the teams, and how exactly do I get in touch with teams? Yeah. Um, so I wound up, like, messaging now that on Facebook, and they're the, you know, the closest team to me, so it worked out, it, it happened to work out pretty well. Um, but yeah, when I, like, so coming back from Washington back to here, and getting involved, it was just kind of like wow how have I not been doing this for the last 10 years right so I've really only been doing it five or six years but like it just feels like I don't know I guess it just kind of feels like part of who I am even though when I step back and think about it it hasn't been all that long right right although I think baseball people still like you know still all through my 20s as I'm living in Seattle not actively playing I think I still kind of thought of myself as a baseball player you know I could go to the gym and do like my pitcher routine and (laughs) that kind of stuff yeah so, you know, we I brought up Tink Larson, 80 years old, still playing. Uh, how long do you think your body can hold out and do this? My arm, well, as I, you know, talking back to my college experience, my arm is just always sore, and it's still the case. I can't, you know, like if I play back-to-back days, I'm a catcher primarily. Oh, yeah. So that's, so that's the big issue is just how long the arm can hold out. Um, and it, But it's never really been there, so I don't know. Like, <laughs> I mean, I guess I've made it this far with the – with a defective wing. So. Yeah. But, um, so I, I joined, this year I've started playing on a second team in the Federal League, a, a 35 and over team. Oh, okay. Based in Anoka, and those dudes are incredibly fun. Yeah. Like, it's just, just great vibes. Love being around that team. They're really good. Um, I kind of, when I joined up with Minoka, we play our home games in Anoka. They were previously in Minneapolis, so hence the Minoka name. Gotcha. Yeah. I kind of thought it was just going to be like casual, like, hey, I'm going to get some extra bats over here with these, you know, pudgy old guys. And <laughs> that is not the case. It is intimidating. They are, they are good and incredibly fun. 
and yeah, you have opportunities in the state to play pretty much as long as you want. Um, as far as when you get older, I suppose like it's easier if you if you live close, you know, in the suburbs or in the metro. Like there's not as many like because I, I I'm not super familiar with this, but I believe as you get into the cities, I think there's like leagues that are 55 and older. Yes. Yep. I've heard about those. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So no, I, I don't see any. Re- I mean, look, I mean, I always, I know, I know, like pointing to major league players is kind of like unrealistic but i'm like look if julio franco can hit a home run on randy johnson at like <laughs> 49 or you know however old he was yeah. like, i don't see any re- i don't see any reason why i can't continue to like play at like an eastern mini level for right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> for, for, for as many years <laughs> yeah it <laughs> or is if Jay- or if jamie moyer was getting it done oh, yeah. at, you know age 50 in the major leagues like i don't see why i can't play town ball there you go you got the name i was trying to pick that name out of my memory yeah. of that pitcher who, he won a, he won a game i believe at 50 i think so yeah that's unbelievable and i think because i'm 48 i'll be 49 soon and I, I can't even umpire anymore my foot hurts too much and i just think about Holy cow! These guys. Oh my goodness! They're yeah. It, it is. And again, we go. We, we bring back that theme of the romanticism of baseball. Probably keeps people involved in it longer than their body tells them they should be. It really gives you an appreciation for you know, like when when you're in your twenties, you hear about like people. You you kind of hear the talk about pro athletes. You know, someone would be talking about a running back or something. Oh, he's thirties over the hill. And you're like, yeah. oh, come on, like that. And <laughs> and it's it really is. Uh, you know, it's it's different trying to play sports at a you know at a competitive level when you're 35 versus like just generally living your life at 35. Yeah, know? like it's yeah. like you, so you can kind of understand like why why it's difficult for you know professional athletes to to stay at that level when they when they get a little older. Exactly. Um, so I, I I did the uh, the old control F trick here in the spreadsheet and Julio Franco homered off Randy Johnson at age 48. Okay. Wow. So my age, my age. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Uh, isn't, that, isn't that just nuts to think about? I, yeah. I mean, imagine at your age, you're yeah, you're 48. Imagine standing in the box against Randy Johnson I, and putting no. one over the fence like in a major league ballpark. Just I, I, I can't can hardly get it out of the infield. Yeah, I can't imagine putting the bat on the ball against Randy Johnson. Um, I, I was reminded of uh, of recently. I was looking up some stuff on TwinsTrivia.com, a great site. John Swole yeah. runs. And John, yeah, John's site is. One of the one of the better uses of Al Gore's internet. Yes, yeah, and the, there was something there, um, and then also on this day, um, I look up things about in the past and the uh, the Randy Johnson John Cruck uh, at bat in the All Star <laughs> <Yeah>. game, <laughs> where where Cruck was diving out of the way, and he's not a <laughs> the most athletic individual ever, but uh, yeah, yeah. just that that high level, and it, you know. Hey, there there are baseball leagues like you talk about for fifty five and over, and and a lot of people play rec league basketball into their forties, yep. fifties. You don't hear about that with football. There aren't, you know, no. us older guys out there toting the pigskin. I probably not even flag football, but uh, there there is that. And you know, you brought up that like the the parking lot social time, which I've seen. I used to umpire an amateur league and stuff, and played that year. And and there's that. And even when I walked out of the Oton Aces games that I was at, um, yep, there's the guys. They're sitting there, and and you know what? They probably have to go to work the next day too. But it's that time together with people who share that passion, and mm-hmm. and probably telling stories because I've I've rarely been on a baseball field where a story hasn't been told about something that happened in the past. 
Yeah, it's a great thing about uh, the game. The pace of the game just kind of lends itself to stories, particularly if you're watching a telecast, which is, you know, getting off topic, but I love that about watching a telecast. The game really lends itself to, to, you know, a couple, you get a couple of guys in the booth just kind of telling stories (laughs) between pitches. But yeah, on the diamond, I mean, same same thing. Like on the diamond, it's kind of, you get to visit a little bit. If you play first base, you get to visit a little bit. And there's, um, there's a real community out there. Um, you know, not everyone knows everyone. It kind of depends on how long you've been around. And, but, um, you know, I, I will admit, like, I'm not the greatest with, like, remembering who everyone is and all this kind of stuff. But I have a few teammates on both of the teams I play for who seem to just know, like, everyone around the league. Yeah. And, you know, show up to a game. And I'm starting to kind of, like, you know, get a sense of, like, who some people are, remember some people. But, um, yeah, I think, that, I think that's, like, a big appeal for, for some people as they – they kind of have this network of friends like on all these other teams that you know you, you go compete against for nine innings or seven innings or whatever it is and you know maybe you kind of visit a little bit before the game and then after the game you get together and you kind of I don't know you have this this is a real sense of community out there in yeah. the amateur baseball scene yeah well you mentioned the stories and as I was helping do the broadcast for that game and Tink was out there and I told stories because I've known I've you know known Tink for quite some time, and I told the story of umpiring a, a I think it was a Legion game or a, something like that um, down in Richland. He brought his Waseca team down, and in the pregame meeting, he said, "Well, guys, you know what today is? My wedding anniversary." I said, "I said Tink, I can't believe you got married in the summertime during baseball season," and he said, "Well, that was one thing I had to give in to my wife, uh, but he says I always try to schedule a ball game on this day every year." So <laughs> there, there's a man who's married to the game as well as to his, his wonderful wife as well. But, you know, yeah, we had the chance to tell the story because baseball is that sort of pace game, mm-hmm. and it, yep. it's fantastic. Uh, and, we it got, takes, and it takes, like, wives and families to kind of be supportive of <laughs> it know, does. For, for, guys, for guys to stay in the game, too. It does. I, I saw um, one of your um, tweets you had sent out, I think one of your kids um, – was talking about playing ball someday and the concept of you know being able to play on the same team. Maybe if you can stick it out yeah. there. Um, yeah, yeah. You see, you see some uh, some multi generational combos on diamonds here and there. Yeah, uh, I think up in Hinkley maybe or somewhere. But every once in a while you hear about like a like a battery pitcher catcher father son. Yep, yep. I got to see that in Oatana. They had that um, um, dad was catching and son was pitching, and so that was that's a cool experience. Uh, to be able to yeah, that's right. I think I think that that maybe is where what, what I'm thinking of is I think you had posted on on the interwebs about that. Okay, could yeah, perhaps could, maybe I, maybe not. Maybe I, I, I lose that, track <laughs> myself. So <laughs> uh, we got Matt Johnson with us. We're talking town ball amateur baseball. Um, uh, Matt has Twins Almanac. Encourage you to check that out too. What uh, talk about some of the you know we talked about the maintenance of fields and everything. What are some of the best ball diamonds that you've played on in your time? Um, so I, where I live, playing in the Eastern Mini, is not really like, so going back to that Town Ball documentary series I did, I think there was one episode that was just about like, you know, cathedrals, right? yeah. like some of the great ballparks. So I think probably more where you are is kind of the heart of where like some of these real great ballparks are. I think when you get like south, you know, west, southwest part of the state. Yep. But as far as in my area, Hinkley is always a treat to go to. And it's not like... I mean, it's a really nice playing field. I don't know if it's, like, you know, pristine or anything, but it's just, like, the environment's great. It's kind of an old-time ballpark with a nice, you know, grandstand. Um, also up in that area, just speaking of, like, 
because there's I don't know there's so much like there's so much that goes into what makes kind of a cool town ball experience mm-hmm. Quamba up there is just like just a regular old little field kind of in a swamp and there's you know there's no grandstand or nothing I mean it's, but it's just like there's something about it where I go up there and I'm just like now this is just like an old school ball field um, where we play our home games from Minoka uh, Castle Field in in um, in Anoka, which is the high school field, that's great. It's a nice experience. Um, we went down to Chaska a few weeks ago. I'm gonna forget the name of their ballpark down there. You know, something something stadium. Yeah. Actually, the coolest thing about that, I walked in and under the you know, kind of under the grandstand, kind of under the bleachers, they have the the restrooms down there, and they have a really cool display set up of Minnesota high school graduates oh, okay. who played the major who played the major leagues. Yep. Right up my alley. Yeah. <laughs> I mean that's. I mean, that's <laughs> I mean that basically that display that like wall down there is you know pretty much could just replace Twins Almanac. I mean because when I when I went to you know start this Twins Almanac thing, that's that was pretty much my what I wanted to do was just have this like just a way to highlight all these guys who grew up in Minnesota. And I think I maybe meant, maybe touched on it the first uh, on the first podcast, but like I, really my main interest honestly is like the major leaguers who grew up in Minnesota. Yeah. And that, but then people just kind of responded more like to the, the twins trivia stuff. So I kind of, so I pretty much built twins almanac just so that I would have an audience to, to like, so I would have a captive audience to talk to about Minnesotan major leaguers. Right. Right. Well, and, and some of them, and of course being from New Alm, I think of Terry Steinbach, they yep. retire from major league baseball, come back and play town ball. Yes. That is the coolest thing. And that, that's something I, I, I don't know. Someone should, someone should take on the project of like really thoroughly chronicling like every all the former major leaguers who've played town ball like just make some kind of some kind of database yeah that would be incredibly cool because that's not i don't know if like that information is is really readily available um yeah it'd be kind of neat if like maybe like minnesota baseball association just kind of made some kind of like just rudimentary database where you can just yeah. look up like okay terry steinbach played for for this team yeah. these years and yeah whatnot. Well, so last night, last night in Chaska, I didn't realize this at the time. I'm not 100 percent sure of it, but in the team in the team chat afterwards, like, hey guys, he scored a so however many runs off a former major leaguer. I'm like what? Turns out Jim Brower, who played the major leagues for nine years, oh. was on the mound for Chaska for okay. a chunk of the game last night. Oh. I don't know 100 percent of that. I, I don't I don't see why that wouldn't be the case, but but stuff like that happens. Yeah, like you know these guys. Um, yeah, it's, it's incredibly cool. Yeah, well, and it and it would you know promote it promotes the the town ball idea you know keeps it alive. I think Terry came back. I think he played for Little Hanska, Minnesota, um, which is yep, just right. just outside of New Ulm. And I remember my dad telling me, you know, of course you're going to pack the stands there because you know here's here's everybody knows Terry Steinbach and and he was a great major league baseball player. Um, I think Dana Dana Kicker come back and play too, probably for Fairfax. Um, when when he was I'm done sure. in major leagues, I mean he you know these names of people who who um, that baseball again romanticism they made millions of dollars, <laughs> but you're gonna come back here and play and and still enjoy the experience and and uh, yeah. keep playing as long as you can. That's that's yeah. good stuff. The uh, the the playoff structure for town ball like there's different classes. I know there's a state tournament that runs into what August and into September even. Is that how that works? 
Yeah, I think the champion. So playing in Nolan, we don't really have to concern ourselves too much with, <laughs> with the uh, the playoff schedule. Uh, but I believe the championship is the holiday weekend there at the end of summer. Oh, Labor Day. Okay, all right. Yeah, yeah. That's um, and and that's a big event. You know, towns like yes, they they compete to be able to host that. Mm-hmm. Because you're you're bringing all, of course a lot of people into town and and um, you could sell a lot of a lot of hot dogs and and probably a lot of beer too. Yeah, guess. so if you want to go back to your previous question about nice ballparks, if you want to see if you want to see some nice ball fields, like look at who's hosted state the previous you know few right. years, or you know, right. probably probably going back quite a while. But, but yeah, they uh, it's kind of like the Olympics. You know, you win the bid, and then you gotta you you probably win the bid because you're you have pretty nice facilities to begin with. But then you really towns really spruce things up to host these things. Yeah, upgrading everything and and really making sure you know I I, I just the, when I when I talk to people around the area and. and and I work on some ball fields, and I don't ever get them close to what some of these do. But you know, I hear things like I, I get little hints from places. Like I put some bricks um, a little ways down uh, by the pitching rubber, so these pitchers that want to dig this deep hole can only go so far. And I got the idea because I heard about um, a, a high school field where they they re- they take the bricks out every game and fix it and replace it, and then they put them down. So just a couple inches down, but um, you know, little yeah. things like that to make the ball really? field better. I think that's awesome because otherwise, fixing a hole on pitching mound—that's <laughs> one of the toughest things to do. Um, like what, actual like brick bricks. Yeah, they put bricks not down like, there. Not like clay bricks or something. Nope. Put some some bricks down there, and so yeah, you can only dig so far down there. And and I've always wondered why you'd want such a big hole anyway. Now you're pitching kind of up and down, and, and yeah. Uh, but well, I think uh, a lot of times it's just kind of like <laughs> they're re-evening it and you just kind of yeah. keep going down further and further. Right. You might need that trick behind the plate and now things. I end up, as a catcher back there, I end up down pretty deep in a hole. Yeah, right. We have, we have some unique challenges in that we don't really have water at the field. Which, uh-huh. Yeah, do you, do you use water pretty extensively in your field maintenance? You like, know, as far as keeping things damp or uh, kind of packed down? And, it's funny because somebody asked me that this weekend. It was We haven't had rain for quite a while or not enough and it was getting kind of dusty. Um, but the water main on the diamonds over in Richland is broken and hasn't mm. been fixed for many years. So it's like, well, if I want to take the watering can out there, that's about all I can do. But then we got gotcha. we got about two tenths of an inch on Sunday morning, which settled everything down for the championship rounds mm. really nicely, and and that was uh, um, that was a good thing. Yeah, there's there's so many little things, and you you pick up tricks of the trade from other people, and you figure some new things out, and and. Um, it's always, there's some good workshops out there, like in the fall or something. Is that a thing? Like, do do uh, are there like some workshops you can go to where we get experts together and kind of share these tips and tricks? Or is that something that uh, maybe like the big town ball, you know, the Minnesota Baseball Association? Maybe they should, maybe they should host something like that. I've, I've been kind of curious about that. Like, you know, bring in some like for our field now. Then I'm like, hey, can we just like hire a Santi to like come in for a day and just like teach yeah, us what to do? Right, right. Hey, it, I, I don't. I have no idea. Maybe there's the million dollar idea I need so I can retire, uh, go around and, yeah. and teach about I mean, that. Like, I mean, they have like coaches clinics and stuff, right? So yeah. We need something on field maintenance. Yeah, I think that's more that you know you kind of learn by doing, and yeah. you, you learn by watching and working with other people. And everybody does things a little bit differently, maybe. Mm. But um, and every and every field kind of has their unique situations. Right. Yep. So that and again, that's what I love about it is you can I can go sit and work on a ball field and I probably will in the next day or two. And uh, and it's a great time because again I'm I'm surrounded by the things that I love and and that's what we've been talking about here 
Uh, and as you're involved, and, and as you stay involved with baseball as an adult, we talked about this in the first podcast, it just makes watching the game so interesting. Like, as a player, you're, like, watching every little detail. Yep. You know, so I feel like your viewing experience is different. You'd mentioned as an umpire, you're kind of watching what they do. Yeah. And then and then even with the, <laughs> maybe you go with the target field and you kind of got the binoculars out there watching the ground screw. Like, yeah. it, just, it just changes the way that yeah. you kind of consume baseball right. when, you, when you stay involved with yeah. it. Well, in the championship game that in the tournament we hosted, um, kid took a took a um, he didn't play the ball really effectively, but he took it right in the chin, um, mm-hmm. trying to field the ball. And somebody goes, "Oh, that was a bad hop." And of course, I took a little offense to that because I just got the field ready, <laughs> and I and I and I watched the ball in a different way than a lot of people do too. And I said, "Well, no, yeah. if you saw the spin on that ball off the bat, that's what caused it." And, you know, there was no way there was a bad hop there because, by golly, I had raked that part really well. So, <laughs> and and the kid turned out to be okay. But uh, yeah. Um, yeah, a little spin and and that it, it makes a difference if you have a lip on the infield or the outfield. Yeah, I was gonna say that was my first thought. Is a lot of fields get that lip there. So yeah, I noticed. I was watching something where they were, um, and this is probably like a little better field than what most what most of us are working with. But they actually take like a shop broom and kind of sweep the that lip. That, yes. Uh, what do they call it? Like the apron, maybe they call it. But where, where right. the transition there from grass to dirt, there's a lot of a lot of dirt kind of builds up on that transition. And so after the game, that's part of their routine is they go out there. The first step is just with an actual like shop room and just kind of sweeping that, just kind of pushing the the dirt back onto the right. onto the grass. Right. Well, it's the same as when you drag a field. You know, you don't want to really. It, it it's you know when you have the fancy drags where you can kind of lift them up and stuff. It's different, but if you're still one of the fields I work on, we're, we got to go old school. I still have the, just the drag you put behind the tractor and mm-hmm. drag it around. Well, if you start dragging it off the field without lifting that drag up, you're bringing all that that red yep. rock and stuff off. So it's it's yep. tough and it's different and it it uh, different challenges for different fields. So. Uh, of course, a little gamesmanship can come into play too. You can kind of, you know, if you're a if you're a big bunting team, you can kind of build up, build a little ridge there on the third baseline to keep the ball fair. Or, of course, or maybe yeah. If you're, maybe if your opponent's a big bunter, you might want it to go. Yeah, <laughs> you you hear those stories from from the major league um, Chicago White Sox in particular, apparently. Yeah. Are. Yeah. Legendary for for their ground screw really being an integral part of the team. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Not working for them so well this year, and that's okay too. So, any uh, uh, you know, let's go back to what we talked about way back in January, and and you know, baseball cards and stuff like that. Anything uh, special that you've encountered lately? I know a lot of people who listen to this program really enjoyed that conversation, and and uh, have been asking about that. Like, well, and, and they follow you now, of course, but. Um, anything really cool in the world of baseball cards? Well, so my relationship with baseball cards is I am not interested in value whatsoever, and I find it very inconvenient when a card is valuable. <laughs> I want to be able to buy it for like right. twelve cents on yeah. sport lots or, or, or like a couple dollars maybe. Um, over the winter, so I've always been really interested in you know guys who grew up in Minnesota and played in the majors, and I've so that's been kind of a focus of my my little card collection for a long time but I actually went through this winter and kind of made a checklist of just like the top space cards just like the you know, just the basic tops cards not all the different inserts and, the yep. brands and stuff and sure enough there has been at least one minnesota high school grad every year wow. going back to 1951 and some years it was like one and it might and some years it wasn't even a major leaguer i think i think like in 2002 it was uh, draft pick cards of joe mauer and dan johnson okay and so I was really nervous this year, you know, because I, I hadn't 
specifically paid attention to this, you know, ever. And then with this past winter, I went through and made a little spreadsheet with like all this stuff. And so now I'm like, okay, who's it going to be in 2022? Yeah. And there was nobody in the first series. The Pops releases their, you know, their main set in two series. There was no one in the first one. The checklist came out for the second series. And I'm like, oh man, I hope it didn't jinx it by like actually, yeah. actually like, you know, making a list. <laughs> and uh, there's one, one, and I think it's, I, I can't remember for sure who it was. I think it was Mike Bauman. And honestly, I'm not even sure if he's in the majors this year or not. But um, so there is, so Minnesota is at least represented for another year. Okay. That's good. And I'm I, trying to put together, a, I'm trying to put together a, I'm trying to have, I'm trying to collect one. Uh, yeah, I'm fumble this explanation. I'm trying to get all the all those cards. Every every Minnesotan major awesome. leaguer from tops, like from their base set, card collectors. Will, you know, it's yep. We'll, we'll kind of understand, but other people's like you know, just just the main card, right? Yeah. Um, and for the most part, they're pretty attainable. The 1968 tops Jerry Kuzman rookie card, I will not be purchasing. Um, he of course shares that with Nolan Ryan and yeah. it's one of the more expensive baseball cards on the planet now I have heard people have talked about that back in the day sometimes kids would cut those cards in half because it's you know there's two oh, players on the card it's like a right. dual card right Right. and send it you know to get it autographed or you know whatever um, I think it'd be really cool if one of those popped up on eBay or something I, I wonder what a half yeah <laughs> I, wonder what the, I wonder what the Jerry Kuzman <laughs> half goes for so, yeah well um, Okay. Yeah, other than that, I think I'm I think I'm pretty much good on that. I think okay. I put that together. Uh, although one other card that I'm missing is 1961 tops George Thomas rookie card. George Thomas uh, came out of Bloomington, uh, Golden Gophers legend. I believe I think he was the athletic director at the University of Minnesota for a while. Um, I don't know what it is. Why that particular card seems to be spendy, but I think it was kind of a high number. And I think back in the day, maybe you know more about this than I do, but I think back. Um, in, in certain periods, tops uh, kind of the higher numbered cards in the set. Just um, not as many of them were printed. Oh, okay. So they're, they're a little more scarce. Right, right. That makes sense. I guess I, I'm not familiar with it either. But uh, well, yeah. I, but like, as I said, it's just inconvenient for me when a card's valuable. I don't. <laughs> I don't have any intention of selling any cards. I just want people to buy them. For right, right. Well, maybe you and can. Some people, people like you know, when you talk baseball cards, a lot of times people are like, "Oh, that must be worth a little something." I'm like, I hope not. Cause yeah. I want it. <laughs> maybe you'll find that half card, and it'll be in your price range, and you can uh, you can get that. Uh, um, yeah, add, it, add it to the collection, and and I, I think that I'm a comic book collector as well, and and sometimes I just want the story. I don't care what condition yeah. it's in, and and like you say, it's kind of inconvenient. I just I, I'll take one that the cover is falling off or whatever, just so I can have the story. So I'm a stickler for, um, I, I I'm cheap. I don't I just don't really I don't know. I just don't really take a lot of pleasure in like spending a lot of money on a baseball card. Like I think they're they should be cheap. Yeah. Um, and so like particularly older cards, like I I. I, and I, maybe it's just because they're in my price range, but I kind of like a well-worn card. Mm-hmm. You know, it's got a nice little patina to it, some nicely rounded corners. Yeah. But, but centering. Ah. You know, when, you, when you look at a lot of cards, you know, I'm on eBay every day. I have like some safe searches, like for particular cards I'm looking for, like the 1961 George Thomas, for instance. Yep. You see a lot of cards pop up where they're just, they're not sent, you know, they're, so I, I believe how cards at least were produced, they print off these giant sheets that have, you know, 20 or however many cards right. on them, yep. and then they're, they're cut out, and, you know, more often than not, they're not cut perfectly centered. So, so that's, 
So that's what I look for is the center yeah. ring. I'm a stickler for that center <laughs> ring. I don't want to, you know, they have like, you know, the, the border will be like, you know, heavy on one side. And, you know, it's, you know, it's a little off. They'll, they'll be off center. Yeah, right. That, that bucks me. I can't abide right. that. But other than that, I mean, if it's centered, it can be, they could, it could have gone through some kids' bicycle spokes. Like, yeah. That might make it, that might make it look kind of cool. Yeah, right. Well, we'll I, need the, I need the centering though. Yeah, we'll encourage our listeners if anybody uh, has any of these that Matt's looking for, you can certainly contact them um, on Twitter. Yeah, if anyone has that, if anyone has that Jerry Kuzman rookie card, yeah, you can right. even keep the Nolan Ryan half. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, either contact me or go on Twitter. Go to Twins Almanac. Go to Major Minnesota on on Twitter, and you get a hold of Matt. And I'm sure he'd love to uh, love to talk to you. Well, Matt, thanks so much for coming back and joining us. Love talking baseball, and uh, appreciate having you back on. Thanks for having me. Enjoy the rest of your summer. Yep, sounds good. And now it's time for the State of Minnesota Sports. Plenty of things going on. I will make note of this just for your reference. We'll start talking about the Vikings soon, July 30th. They get back together at uh, training camp. So that's coming up right around the corner. Let's uh, talk about the Lynx briefly. As you are listening to this, they would have played another game out of the All-Star break playing as we record this. Uh, the Lynx, two and a half games out of a playoff spot, 13 games left after the All-Star break. Uh, Sylvia Fowles had a nice All-Star game, put down a dunk. Everybody's pretty excited about that. Uh, one note about the Lynx, as I was reading in the Star Tribune, that they rank first in rebounding in the WNBA. So th- there's a lot of confidence here. They're talking that they think they can still make a, a push to make the playoffs and become just like the Chicago Sky last year. They are playing much better lately. After starting 3-13, and 13, they won 5 out of 7. But, you know, is the hole too deep to, um, that they have dug for themselves? Uh, we will have to see. I spoke to Carter Martins not long ago. He was on the program um, sometime back talking about hockey, and I saw him out at some ball fields, and I asked him what he thought of the Minnesota Wild draft, and he was excited about it. He thought that the Wild got some good young talent to come in. Um, He was all in favor of the Kevin Fiala trade as well, and he thinks that what they got in place of that will will serve them well. So he was pretty pretty pumped up, and again, not a great hockey mind here when it comes to that, but uh, he thought that that was a pretty good Pretty good deal for the Wild, something they had to do anyway. And he thinks the young man they're going to get that's at the University of Minnesota right now uh, will be much better than some people think. He's watched him play for the Gophers and uh, and thinks that will work out really, really well for the Wild in the long run. The Twins, here we are, honing in on the All-Star break. Two Minnesota Twins, first-time All-Stars, Luisa Rise, to nobody's surprise, made the All-Star game. Although I saw some, you know, national feedback. Some people are upset because so and so didn't make it. Instead, listen, Luisa Rise is one of the best hitters in baseball right now, uh, both hitting and on-base percentage. Uh, to me, which are really important numbers, especially the on-base percentage that you are getting on base all the time. Uh, you know, that, that's that's a pretty big deal, and. Why wouldn't you want a rise? Plus the idea of, not that it's important to, to win or lose the, the All-Star game, but you can put a rise in a lot of different places um, when you substitute him into the game if you are the American League manager because you can play a lot of different places. And to me, that's part of his, his versatility is part of just how important he is, um, really the MVP of the Minnesota Twins in the first half 
of the season. Byron Buxton, also a first-time All-Star. You know, home run numbers up in the 20s. That's a pretty big deal. And uh, he doesn't have the high batting average that you would want, but his OPS is up there, you know, right around the same place as Arise. And, you know, why wouldn't you have Byron Buxton there? Some disgruntlement of people like Joan Duran not making it. But, you know, at the same time, he's been struggling a little bit lately too. Giving up some hits, people are maybe starting to figure out a few things about how he operates. And maybe he's got to make, you know, just like Tyler Duffy, people are teeing off on him. Uh, perhaps it's time for Duran to look at how he does things and see if he's tipping anything. Uh, you know, Devin Smeltzer's been struggling the last couple of starts. Joe Ryan a little bit coming back from his bout with COVID. And these are the types of things that make for a good team. You look at Tyler Duffy and everybody's ready to get rid of him um, some time ago. Well, he changed. He went back to using some pitches he hadn't used before. Now he's been much more effective out of the bullpen. Uh, you know, you got to look at Maybe Emilio Pagan has to do something like that. Maybe Smeltzer has to look at a few things. Uh, maybe Duran, with after a couple of stumbles, has to look at a few things. That's how you become a really good team, is you keep people guessing all the time. Not, well, he's always going to do this, this, and this. It's kind of like young pitchers. You'll see them, they'll get up 0-2 in the count, and now they're going to throw their curveball every single time because they're up 0-2, and if they miss, it's no big deal. But that's a, a trend you don't want to have because then people can tee off on that and they're looking for that curveball and can read that really well. So the same thing goes whether you're 12, 13, 14 years old or whether you are a professional baseball player, um, a lot of things can happen. As you are listening to this, the Twins are finishing a brief two-game series uh, with the Milwaukee Brewers at home, and then they will start four with the Chicago White Sox. And as disappointing as it was to not sweep the White Sox last week, uh, still won two out of three, uh, stumbled in Texas, losing two out of three. But hopefully at least the split with Milwaukee, they are a good team in the National League Central. And then with four games with the White Sox, you have to at least split, but really you want to take three out of four and go into the All-Star break feeling good about yourself and kind of maintaining the, the lead. If, if the Twins go into the All-Star break with a three-game or better advantage, um, I'm going to feel pretty good about their chances in the second half. They've played more games than all these other teams. Uh, they're going to get some more rest days here in July and down the stretch, and that's only going to help them as well as they try to take control of the American League Central. And I'll be honest, I really think it's going to be you know, down to the, the Twins aren't going to clinch anything until maybe a week before the end of the season, if that at the earliest. But we will see next week uh, how they are coming out of that All-Star break. And that is the state of Minnesota sports. And now it's time for this week in Minnesota sports history. On July 13th in 1965, the 36th Major League Baseball All-Star game was played at Met Stadium in Minnesota. The National League won 6-5, and Juan Marichal was the MVP, pitcher for the Giants. A real Hall of Fame lineup when you look back at who all played in the 65 All-Star game. And John Swole, who had been on the program earlier, uh, talked about um, that time um, in Minneapolis and just how many awesome people were there, and he was at that game as well. On July 13th in 1993, the All-Star Game was in Baltimore, and the American League won 9-3. Kirby Puckett 
of the Twins was named MVP. In 2014, on July 13th, the Home Run Derby was held at Target Field with Ioannis Cespedes winning with 28 total home runs. I was there at that game, thanks to Jim Lutkins, who had given me his ticket. Went with his son, Eli, who is the editor and publisher of the Star Eagle, which advertises on the program here. It was a fantastic night, rain delay. Um, but then the rainbow came out, and there's some really iconic pictures you can see of the rainbow over Target Field. It was just a fun experience, something I'll probably never get a chance to do again, so I'm always uh, grateful to Jim for giving me that opportunity. In 2019, on July 13th, the Twins beat Cleveland 6-2, and Max Kepler became the first player in history to homer in five consecutive bats against one pitcher, Trevor Bauer. Bauer couldn't get out of the American League fast enough when his contract came up. Uh, and of course, he's in a little bit of trouble these days as well. On July 14th in 1991, the Twins retired Tony Oliva's number six before beating Boston 5-3. And of course, Tony O will go into the Hall of Fame this month. 2008, on July 14th, Justin Morneau won the Home Run Derby in New York beating Josh Hamilton in the finals 5-3. to three. Hamilton had more total home runs, but the way they worked it then, um, he had a final show off and uh, showdown, sorry, and, and uh, Morneau won 5-3. On July 15th, in 1989, Jeff Reardon saved his 250th career game in a 3-2 win over Boston. On July 15th in 2014, the American League won the All-Star game at Target Field 5-3, Mike Trout was MVP. On July 16th in 1969, Rod Carew stole home for the seventh time that season in a 9-8 win over the White Sox, tying the record for steals of home. I think my understanding is he made another attempt later in the season. It sure looked like he was safe, but was called out. No replay back then, of course. On July 16th in 1985, the Nas National League won the All-Star game at the Metrodome 6-1. Lamar Hoyt of the Padres, as a pitcher, was the MVP. So all three All-Star games that we have hosted, one at each of our stadiums, um, all within this week in history. In 2000, on July 16th, the Twins traded Butch Husky and Todd Walker to Colorado for first baseman Todd Sears. Looking back, not the most productive trade, really, for either team. In 2003, on July 16th, on the other hand, the Twins traded Bobby Kilty to the Blue Jays for Shannon Stewart and Dave Gassner. Stewart was the spark plug that brought the Twins back and uh, made a, a playoff run that year, uh, thanks in large part to him becoming their leadoff hitter. Kilty was a, a good fourth outfielder back in the day, but Stewart really made a difference for the Twins. In 2011, on July 16th, the Twins retired Burt Blylevin's number 28 before the Twins beat the Royals 4-3. On July 17th in 1990, the Twins became the first team to ever turn two triple plays in the same game, 5-4-3, third to second to first against the Red Sox, but the Twins still lost 1-0. On July 18th, in 1962, Bob Allison and Harmon Killebrew each hit grand slams in the first inning, and the Twins scored 11 total in the first, ultimately beating Cleveland 14-3. On July 18th in 2016, Terry Ryan was fired as general manager. Uh, the Twins were 33-58 and at the time. Ryan, of course, had been GM, uh, stepped back, came back to do the job again, and then um, 
was shown the door, opening it, um, ultimately for Derek Falvey and company to take over. On July 18th in 2020, that date marked the 100th game that had been canceled because of the COVID-19 pandemic. On July 19th in 1975, Thurman Munson of the Yankees had a first-inning RBI hit uh, nullified because he had too much pine tar in his bat. And then the Twins would go on to win 2-1. to one. Uh, No George Brett incident there, but too much pine tar. On July 19th in 1982, Tom Bernanski had the only inside-the-park Grand Slam for the Twins at the Metrodome in a 6-4 win over Milwaukee. In 1987, on July 19th, the Twins retired Rod Carew's number 29 before a 7-6 win over Toronto. So it's not only an all-star week, but a retirement of numbers week for the Twins. And on July 19th in 2004, Terry Mulholland picked up the win in a 3-1 Twins win in Detroit. He became the third Major League Baseball pitcher to beat all 30 teams. Well, that'll do it for another Helping of Waffles here at 365sportscast.com. I'm glad you tuned in. Hope you'll continue to join us each and every Wednesday right here at 8 o'clock Eastern, 7 o'clock Central. If you're busy on a Wednesday night, you can always catch each episode at the same time every evening throughout the week, 8 Eastern, 7 Central at 365sportscast.com. Shows also archived to YouTube and Spotify. You can catch any of the past episodes on those channels. Remember, if you have thoughts about the program, if you think you might be a good interview, email me, waffleflipper22 at gmail.com, or message me on Twitter, at MrD1973. Next week, we'll be right back here looking at the world of Minnesota sports. What will the Twins look like coming out of the All-Star break? What is in store for them? Will the links continue to trend upward? And the Vikings are right around the corner. Come on back and find out more. I'll have another special guest to delve into all of that. Thanks again for joining me. This is Mark Domeyer signing off with Syrup.